And hello, welcome back to another episode of Ladies First. I am Taylor and I'll be hosting this episode today. With me is my friend and lovely co-host, Rebecca. Hi. So today we are going to be talking about all things The Owl House, Disney Channel's great new animated show that I am dying to scream about. And I'm sure Rebecca wants to fangirl over too. I do. And you're the one who pulled me into this so you could have someone to scream about it with basically, because that's what we do here at the Fundamentals. We convert each other to our current obsessions. Just check out our Discord to see how we're going crazy over Warrior Nun. Teehee. Anyway, <laughs> you should see the look Rebecca's giving me, uh, audio only. And so, what is The Owl House? The Owl House is, an anim- is a cartoon for children that is currently airing on the Disney Channel. It just completed its first season, and it got out the gate running. It was created by Dana Terrace, an animator and director who has a great pedigree already for the Disney Channel. You know, Gravity Falls primarily, as well as some work on the DuckTales, I believe. And now I'm going to have to watch Gravity Falls. You're welcome. I mean, I already knew that because... I knew she was a part of it, and it was already on the list anyways, but it got bumped up higher. And I know people are yelling at me to, that I should have already watched it anyways. I mean, it's never too late to start, and it's if, if you like BuzzFeed Unsolved, you'll love Gravity Falls. There are literally secret codes in the show. Anyway, back to the Owl House. So. <laughs> I was about to go off on a completely different tangent. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> this is why we have outlines and why I'm using this voice for the introduction. So. Oh, God, we're still in the intro. It's fine. So, the Owl House is about a girl named Luz Naseda, who's 14 years old and ends up working for an apprentice, working as an apprentice for a witch named Ida the Owl Lady in the demonic realm of the Boiling Isles. And so, basically, the Owl House is named after where they live together with King, a little demon dog, who we all adore. And (laughs) it is such a good show. It is... It is one of the best cartoons I've seen in a long time, and it is exactly what I needed this year, because it is bright, both in tone and colors. It's weird. It's whimsical. There's a dark undertone that just grows as the season progresses. Um, Gives you serotonin. Lovable characters. Great Gives you serotonin. And because this is Ladies First, it is all about the female characters, and all about that sapphic shit. So... In terms of gushing, Rebecca. <laughs> I'm sorry. You did the little, like, almost, like, chin finger gun pose, and it, I, I lost my shit. Okay, I'm sorry. <clears throat> we are professionals here. So, Rebecca. Yes. Where do you want to start with gushing about the Owl House? Uh, I'm torn between King and my ships. And by ships... I mean chip, because there's really only one right now. Okay, how about we then start with King and work our way up to that good gay shit? (laughs) Okay. Okay. King is cute and adorable, and he wants to rule the world, and honestly, he can rule mine. I'm fine with that. So, King is a demon character whose recurring character plot is... Him trying to find ways to rule over people, so, like, being a substitute teacher and using that authority position to rule over students. And, I mean, I can just imagine him walking into your room and being just, like, human, get me snacks, and you would just be like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, baby angel. You mean like I do with my dog? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Wrapped around their tail. Yep. And that's one of the things that caught me early on with this show is how much force the characters had, how much they drew me in. I mean, Luce Naseda is, I just, I actually have run two pieces about the, um, the Owl House. And as I said in one, Luce is like the modern archetype of the fangirl. She makes AMVs. Mm-hmm. She's obsessed with a book series that has a female protagonist. She is quirky. She's creative and spunky and confident and is obsessed with the fantasy genre and knows it inside out, and it loves anime, and 
it's just refreshing to see a female character who is so enmeshed in the feminine realm of fan fiction and fan culture. And it not being portrayed negatively. Yeah, it's not a joke. It's not a punchline. I mean, when it is, it's an inside joke and a loving wink. Exactly. It's sincere, you know. It's... This is something we all share and the absurdities Mm -hmm. that we share in. Yeah. And nice, as someone who's been a fan of um, superhero stuff before. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice to shippers sometimes. Yeah, and for me with Luce Naseda, it's just at, within watching the first two episodes, I felt like I had found something that had filled a hole in my life in terms of just just female characters being given their own storylines without men, without male mentors, without male love interests. There's very few men in the story. Yeah, it's really. such a female-driven show, and to see a character like Luz, a teen girl who's portrayed in, like, all of her wonderfully complicated teenage messes, mm-hmm. put, contrasted against a character like Ida, the Owl Lady, <laughs> is so fulfilling. It's like, oh my god. Like, Ida, Ida Lynn Clawthorne, Ida, the Owl Lady, is who I want to be in 20 years when I hopefully stop giving a shit about what society thinks of me. I just want... To be in the club, the Bad Witches Club. I want that t-shirt. Yeah, Ida has a joke coven. about, yeah, Bad Girl Coven, Bad Girls Coven, and Disney, please get on that merch. And King Plushy. King. He's like, cute and adorable, and he has the right to own the world. I, um, that reminds me, so Dana Terrace actually did a Reddit AMA this past month, and actually mentioned that we're going to learn a bit more about King in season two. I didn't know that, and I'm ecstatic, because I I adore King, and I want to know, like, because he comes in, like, and he's, like, they have the, like, split second of where you think he might actually be, like, this big, powerful thing, because they set it up where you just see his shadow, and he's like, it's a demon, blah, 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 and then he comes in, and he's this little cute puppy who's wearing a skull, essentially, which sounds weird, but it's so cute, like, Trust me. And he's so sweet and so innocent, almost. Like, even though he is a little power-hungry, it's there's an innocence and a pureness to King. He's definitely portrayed simultaneously as, like, a dog or a cat, but also, like, a young child. Mm-hmm. That's definitely for comedic effect, but I wonder if it's related to his backstory because he proclaims he's the he was the king of demons yeah and maybe he was reincarnated we don't know well okay i've read a fan theory and this ties into some mythos down the line in this show and i don't know how accurate it is it's just a fan theory because lord knows there's already fifty thousand of them that king is actually the reincarnation of the titan who fell that gave um, the Boiling Isles all the power. That yeah, it I, was, I just thought of that when I mentioned he may have been a reincarnation. So oh, this sorry. isn't... No, you're fine. I mean, like Gravity Falls, the Owl House is perfect for that Tumblr niche that just writes a million fan theories with GIFs and photo sets in a bunch of text. And to bring up the Titan is good segue into the world building of this show, which, holy shit, there was so much packed into only, like, 18 episodes. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal how real and grounded the world feels at the same time as mystical and magical the setting is. I just love the idea that it's a demon realm built on the bones of a dead Titan, which is just so emo and angsty while so just so original. And I feel like it's already a good way, a good example of speculative fiction being used for, like, commentary. Because as the season progresses, you, at the, towards the very end, you learn a bit about the government and how it works. Mm. And mm-hmm. as I made note in my outline, quote, wow, this is too fucking relevant. Haha, <laughs> I'm dying inside. End quote. Mm. Because... Mm. 
Um, the Boiling Isles is ruled by an emperor who I'm not going to go into that much because I honestly want to try to leave some of that, you know, tidbit for listeners to find out about should they check out the show. Mm-hmm. But let me just say that an emperor who controls freedom of expression and flow of knowledge where people spout propaganda cheerfully with no idea what they're doing, it hits very close to home in these times. Yeah, and also controls the power and who has it and is actively trying to destroy the one person who refuses to bow down and be a part of his system. Yeah. So Hmm. the Owl House has a very, like, simple beginning plot of, like, go apprentices for a witch. Teehee, let's see what happens. But then it, towards the very end of the season, like, as you go further into this world and its complexities, shit hits the fan. And, like, you start to see more of the the series potential. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for season two. Because we were fed so much with this first season in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But they're still like, no, we have more. Yeah. This is, this is multiple meals. You, you, you can come back and eat again. And I'm like, I'm going to get fed again. Thank you, Mother Dana Terrace. Yeah, it's honestly like there's so many plot lines and the way they're handling different things because you have the school plot line, everything that's going on there at uh, Hexside. And then you have everything with Ida, Luce, and King. But then you have interpersonal relationships that cross all those different spheres. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, how everyone kind of interacts with everyone. And you see, like, bits of, like, oh, that char- character thing right there, that small bit of information is going to be relevant or at least shapes the way this person acts a lot later on, um, especially in my mind with Amity. There's a lot they do without saying much with her. Oh my god. So before we dive into Amity Blight and the shipping stuff, I just want to make clear for our listeners that Hexide is the magical school of this setting. And honestly, we could do a part two episode on this because I could ramble just alone on the commentary of education Mm -hmm. and how much the show has a thing to say about education. But... We only have so much time. Yeah. And, like, it's essentially the Hogwarts, quote-unquote, the most common thing of their world. But also because of, and I don't, I know it's just playing on the, like, common um, theme of, like, West Side High School, East Side High School. I almost said go Wildcats. What the hell is wrong with me? Anyways, High School Musical reference, Taylor, (laughs) you're looking at me. (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking about something else because, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, but mostly like the thing for whatever reason it reminded me most of like more than Hogwarts, more than just a simple name was. uh, Did you ever read the Wayside books? No, I have not. Okay, it reminds me of that, and it's a it's a wacky school essentially that just random stuff takes place at. Like I don't remember it well. I read it when I was a kid, but it it was very interesting and the 19th floor didn't exist i think it was the 19th floor i definitely think that in terms of like world building and set setting that this shows being very careful in alluding to the stories that have come before while also forging a new path like i mean we have in our outline a section just on like pop cultural references and fandom references and it's pretty long for like something we threw together and like there are probably way more that oh yeah I I I didn't go into an insane thing because I've only watched through it once and I wanted to do it without taking notes because otherwise I wouldn't fully absorb the plot because of the way my ADHD brain works So I watched it all the way through and I noticed a lot of references that were made and the ones on the list are the ones I could like remember and recall. But honestly, like there's so many things 
there, and I know for a fact, and I haven't seen it, but I know people are tying it to, like, trying to tie it to the Gravity Falls universe and stuff like that, and different things online. I haven't read those theories because I'm avoiding theories, not theories, spoilers for Gravity Falls, but, you know, there, it's just a constant nod to fandom, like, continually. I definitely think that, one, these show people, you know, not just Dana Terrace, but her team, because she has a huge team of, you know, animators, designers, the whole works, that these people are very well-versed in modern animation, and that they are very nerdy. (laughs) Yeah, that's very abundantly clear. And we love them for it. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm never going to shame anyone for their nerdiness. Oh, I'm not shaming. This is like, I wouldn't. Oh, I know. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't be friends. (laughs) That is true. And we also wouldn't be here today on Ladies First. Because, let's be honest, nerdy chicks, like, we, we, we get the job done. True. And so let's see. In terms of gushing. Oh, I want to mention this before we get into the shippiness. Oh my god, the animation quality. It is so good. The color is so good. The movement. Just watch the witch's duel scenes. You'll thank me later. Okay, but also, like, speaking of, like, nerdy thing, like, they even throw nerdy stuff in for people who like drawing and animating because Amity draws. And there's a point where Lou sees one of her drawings and goes, oh, she's got better at her cross stitching? No, that's not the right so- She says something. That yeah, is- I know what you're talking about because I re-watched that episode just the other day. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Dana Terrace actually talked out in the Reddit AMA about how much she loves animating. And so you definitely feel that love of artistry pouring mm-hmm. into the work. Yeah. Also, kind of to make a comparison, almost in the same way, just the viewing of art, the way it's done, can be almost personified by the way Ida looks at the way spells and magic should be done. Like, with more, like, figuring it out and coming, instead of just rigid structure. Not that rigid structure is always bad. Oh, yeah. Literally, the magic coven system in this world um, could be a metaphor for anything, like metaphor for queerness, a metaphor mm-hmm. for education, a metaphor for artistry, a metaphor for, like, there's a lot, the, the way they approach magic and how it works with this society is very fluid as a metaphor, which is, I think, really cool. And I think just really reflective of these storytellers knowing what fantasy is for and about. Yeah, I agree. And like, I don't know, I feel like I could analyze just the first season, like, I don't even know how many times and still get so much out of it because there is layers on layers there. I mean, definitely, like, um, when I was rewatching the season, I was doing it on my laptop, and that's, like, was nice, because it was easier for me to pause and rewind so I could look at something again, because I thought I would see something in the background, and I had, because there's just so much detail in every scene. There really is. They do a lot of, like, hints and foreshadowing and just, like, a throwaway joke on the background too oh yeah yeah like and it's great like like to get to cite an example in a scene ida has to clean off magic graffiti that she made and mother no oh my god literally the graffiti transforms and goes into the saying mother no as she tries to clean it away and it's the best thing oh god (laughs) watch the show people please it's adorable, and, like, you can get a lot of serious context out of it, like we're saying, but you can get so much, like, silliness and stuff, too. And I think that's kind of, like, a great thing to be teaching kids. Like, this show is emotionally mature. Oh, yeah. For sure. Because, like, it drops, like, one of the things I remember it saying 
was Luce actually mentions burnout? Oh yeah, like those, I haven't actually watched that episode a second time because it hits too close to home as a writer, but it's literally mm. a, an episode all about creating and just when Luce talks about the burnout thing, I was, I was like, ooh, I can't, too real. Yeah, it's like, and there's several little nuggets, especially from Luce, who's uh, 13, 14 in the She's show? She's about 14, I think. And there's so much, like, she's very much of that generation to me, of the growing up online, knowing terminology already at such a young age, coming from, mm-hmm. I think I'm an older millennial. I don't know. She would probably fall into, oh my god, she's definitely Gen Z, because she's, it's 2020. Oh, I said I'm an older millennial. Oh, I know. I know. I was just having a moment about time. Yeah, she's either Gen Z or maybe the beginning of Alpha. Is that a thing? Yeah. Alpha is the next generation. I did not need to know that. I have a relationship to time. Anywho, yeah, that's that's something I really like about Luz is the she just she just so easily goes from like the most inquisitive, intuitive girl to the silliest person alive, and it's so refreshing to have a female lead who's both very intellectual and studious while also very fun hard fun and lighthearted. Because so often it's like Female characters, if they're always smart and into books, they have to be serious all the time. Or worse, expelled. I mean, Hermione's totally valid. It's just we need I know. I love her. Like, she's my favorite, at least of the kids Mm -hmm. in the series. Then I have to get into the adults, and her and Remus can battle things out later, okay? The thing is, you don't often see that side of Luce's strong, spunky, like, willing to take up and fight for other people, like, just all around. But she's silly and lighthearted and oblivious and smart and... It's just such a nice, so much dichotomy, so much fluidity, and I really needed this show this year, and I'm so glad it delivered. Yeah. It's, honestly, like, I'm glad you, like, because you were talking to me about it before I started watching it, and you were telling me how much you liked it. And I was like, okay, I'm probably going to give it a try. And I'm so glad, because, honestly, it's been a bright spot this year for me, truly. So. And speaking of bright things, can we talk about that nice sapphic shit and how queer this show is? You mean it's queer as fuck? Yeah. It's literally, it's, you can't say the show, there's no, you can't say that the show is like, has a queer part, it is just a queer show. Yeah. It's, honestly, as someone, by the way, curse you for getting me into more Disney things, I didn't need this. <laughs> but as someone Did who's- my job. Yeah. But as someone who's watched a lot of Disney Channel shows in general- like, this is the first time that I can think of where it feels just like a Disney Channel queer show instead of a Disney Channel show with a queer character. Definitely. Um, not to knock Andy Mack. Andy Mack did really well, but uh, Cyrus's story just wasn't centered there. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, you made me watch this. I'm making you watch Andy Mack. Fair. Um, it radiates in everything that you do and I think especially as two queer women like it's impossible not to see it like as I said earlier that within the first two episodes it felt like I that there was a hole in me that had been filled by watching this show because it just really tapped into this inner child of mine who you know was always that girl who loved fantasy Mm -hmm. and then you get to the prom episode Oh, God. And I just, as we I- We can't I, start there. We can't start at the prom episode. Oh, I know. This is, this is foreshadowing for our listeners. Yeah, like, this show has, is always queer, but they build up the queerness as it goes, and they just keep delivering in different ways, and it is so fulfilling for so many people. Yeah, it really, truly is. I can't, I wish I could remember the part, but there was one part 
I literally remember it was later in the season. It wasn't the prom episode, surprisingly. But there was a part later on in the season, and I swear if I remember it, I'll tell someone to add it into the notes. But there was a part that I paused and I almost cried because I felt sane. Like, it was just like, oh, that's the thing I've felt before. No, It's so important because we're sitting here, we're both white, to, like, acknowledge the fact that there is a like, a whole different side of people who are getting to be seen for the first time. Because, honestly, like, I can think of some general Latinx representation in Disney Channel shows, but to have a specific and, say, Dominican Republic, I can't recall off the top of my head anything like that. And, yeah, you get the emotion. And that's, um, to compare to another queer Latinx show that I love one day at a time because I don't always get what they're saying at one day at a time but when they say something you get it and you understand it like you understand the context and everything that it's and I think it's it's done well from my perspective and I I hope everyone else agrees especially the Latinx and more specifically the Dominican Republic population that watches it yes and i wanted to just put that in there because it's very important um Mm -hmm. but yeah luce is such a bisexual character and it's kind of (laughs) obvious within only a few episodes like they don't shy away from that which is great no no i mean she expresses attraction to more than to more than one gender she like I don't want to talk her future girlfriend's older siblings (laughs) Uh, there's a running pun online that Luce is blight sexual because she's blushed around both of Amity's siblings yeah it's it's she has a thing for green hair she does but she also has a thing for pointy ears because everyone on the Boiling Isles has pointy ears but it's true it's just so refreshing because you know, Dana Terrace is an out bisexual woman, and as she, the only public relationship of hers is with Alex Hirsch, the creator of Gravity Falls, who voices two of the characters on The Owl House, and as far as we know, they're still together, but it's the idea that even a bi woman who's in a relationship with a man is still queer and is still going to be fighting for representation because it's part of her community and who she is. They were in a relationship. <laughs> Sorry, that was news to me. That's I didn't fine. know her and Alex were. Because when you said that, I was like, wait. Because I knew his name because of King and Hootie. Yeah, no, he's the creator of Gravity Falls. And she worked on Gravity Falls, I think, as an animator. Like, okay, so Gravity Falls has done a lot for, like, modern Disney animation. Like, if you look at different employees in credits between new Disney Channel animated shows, they all overlap with Gravity Falls. I'm not surprised. That's normally the way it goes with Disney is something new and innovative comes out. And then they take that, what works about it, and mass produce it because it's Disney. It's not even mass producing. Not not in a negative way here. It's more that I think that the success of Gravity Falls allowed a lot of people to have more opportunities and get the platform that they needed because Alex Hirsch is loud and fights for representation, especially queer representation. Um, Even though he didn't have as much as he wanted in his own show, he helped um, lay the groundwork that we're seeing um, today. And Dana Teos, of course, has been fighting. She just didn't have- He said, I want to watch the show. You showed me. I'll watch Gravity Falls next. Okay, well, we have to focus on the- It's okay. It's 2020. Anywho, Luce is a bisexual icon already in only one season, and we Mm -hmm. love it. I mean, that prom outfit, like, I want that prom outfit, and I don't even like, like, suits. I like suits. I wish I could find some suits that... Well, to amend, I do like suits. I don't like really tailcoats, but in this context, her outfit is just... Because she was um, a tailcoat. That's over, fair. I don't really like tailcoats either. Over a pink tutu. And it is so messy in the best way. 
can see you wearing something like that. It's your dark and like bright sides mixing. Like it's very you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very much try to channel Persephone. I'm queen of the underworld and goddess of spring when I can. So, you know, lots of pink and lots of black and, you know, Lucy's prom outfit really spoke to me. That's fair. I'm honestly, like, I'm the type of person who wanted to go to prom in Converse and was told I couldn't, so. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the reasons why this prom episode is so important. It's because it was made for everyone who didn't really get a fulfilling prom experience. Yeah. And why was this prom episode so fulfilling? Because of Luce and Amity in the ship that is Lumity. Would you like to kick off the ship talk? If I can be coherent enough, um, Amity's first, like, introduction to the show, because I think we need to kind of start, because we kind of have a little bit on loose. Um, but Amity's first introduction is being a bully in and of itself. Now, there's reasons for that, and I think they're going to be explored even more um, in this upcoming season. May there be at least four. That's the... Sorry, I'm used to Disney Channel stuff, and normally we only get four in Disney Channel. Anyway. Um, so... Oh, God. But you get to explore her character more and find out why she has all these walls. Um, I Honestly, I still think they need to explore it a little bit more. The episode that they do with her and Willow, who is Amity's former BFF and Luke's current BFF, um, is really fantastic in explaining Amity and why she is the way she is and... Honestly, even though you barely see them, you get such a sense of how toxic their parents are. Um, yeah, so Amity Blight is very much the bully character who slowly gets redeemed over time and becomes this like awkward, becomes the awkward extra person in the group who slowly joins the group. Mm-hmm. And they softened her up and opened her up so quickly. You know, it's only been the first season, but it works so well because they put so much complexity into her character from the beginning. Yeah. Um, well, at one point, because I believe in episode seven, it's a library episode, right? Yes. Lost in language, I believe, is what is what it's called. Um, like, for me, I think that was probably when I messaged you, like, it's like, I really like Amity, but I'm going to need them to explain, like, why our character was the way it was when we first saw her in, like, episode three. Yeah. Like, and I was just, oh, go ahead. You already felt, like, a huge connection to her four episodes in, and I think she was missing from one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a recurring character. She's not in every episode. I have a feeling that will change. Um, but, um... Like, they set up this character and you're like, okay, I really, really like her, but I can't ignore exactly how she treated Willow. hmm And they give you the background to it, at least some of it. I still think there's way more to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We've only got scratched the surface. But you understand that in her own way, she was trying to protect Willow. Yeah, and I remember when you messaged me that, and I was just like, wait, just give it time. Like, mm-hmm. there was payoff. We do, like, we do address the willow in the room to, to, and that's something I really appreciate. And even Dana Terrace, like, mentioned in that Reddit AMA recently, you know, how things still aren't easy between the two characters, Willow and Amity, and it's something that needs time and to work on. And it's this idea that the writers are cognizant of what, how friendship breakups can harm a person and how, you know, if you hurt someone and repeatedly hurt them, you can't just go, sorry, that you, you have to atone, you have to get better. And yeah. that is one of the reasons why the show is so fulfilling is because it understands that, you know, you can redeem characters, but it's not like a one and done 
thing. No. That it, I think one of the biggest things that helped, I mean, even more than in the Willow episode, and you've seen what Amity does to help Willow in that episode, is the episode when Willow is um, getting picked on by, I can't remember her name. The girl with the eyes, Basha? Yeah. Um, and how Amity slowly starts taking Willow's side, and even more than that, is protecting Luce, because Luce mm-hmm. is really throwing herself into protecting Willow, and Amity is like, okay, I have to do this, and because Willow and Gus, who are the, like, three of the best friend triangle thing, literally, because you need three to do the, was it the summoning? The so Okay, so for our listeners, there's an episode where, like, you, the kids have a sleepover, and it's, they have a magic ritual, and it's the summoning circle, it's a summoning spell, and you need three people, so it's the classic tr- golden trio fantasy, so you have Luce, the protagonist, and you have her best friends, Willow and Gus. Yeah, I almost said golden trio, but I was like, I've already made enough Harry Potter references, and there are more to come. <laughs> That's why I made it for you. <laughs> Thank you. But, like, it's very, like, there's, an organicness to their friendship. And I don't feel like, at least as of yet, and which kudos to them, that they've played it where one is closer to the other. Like, there's a person in the middle of the friendship, you know? They're all just friends. Like, um, and they care about each other versus, like, both of them are really, like, it would be really easy to have Gus just, like, Luce is cool and all, but uh, Willow's my best friend, and Luce be like, "Mm, Gus is okay, but Willow's my best friend, and they don't Mm -hmm. do that. They just are and accept each other. And I think this really well-balanced, well-written take on interpersonal relationships is one of the reasons why the ship, even though it's only been one season and, like, 18 episodes, why this ship feels so rich and complex already and why it feels so right narratively yeah it it really does and i think kind of going back to episode seven um with the library episode something you said it earlier the title whatever lost in language so basically um in that episode loose and amity end up having a forced adventure in a library and with magic books. And by the way, I would kill to have that. Oh my God. Yeah. Magic library. I love it. And that's something that I really appreciate too, is that you have libraries not being ducked on and seeing as like this boring, stiff place that no library is actually very cool, interesting places where you can get into a lot of crazy things. And I want to have the book snowball fight. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the show. You'll enjoy it. More of the story, watch the show. Anywho, um, one of the reasons why this ship works so early on is because they have complementary personalities, you know, shared goals, like very both studious, hardworking, intellectual people. And they love the same book series. Yeah. It's, as I told Rebecca in another conversation, it's the sapphic nerdiness we deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. That was such a great line. I remember being really proud of you for that one. Thank <laughs> you. I try. Um, but, and I get where you're going with there, but with that. But for me, in that episode, like, Luce realized that there's more to Amity than she lets on. And she's the first person to realize it and pursue it. I think in Amity's life, since Willow, since her friendship with Willow. And I think part of the reason Amity likes Luce so much is because she actually sees Amity and not the front she puts up. I totally agree with that. It's like, we have not really seen Amity's home life. We've seen her siblings a few times. We got like one flashback of her parents 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't good. It was not healthy. Mm-hmm. And as someone who was kind of the trauma expert of the fundamentals, woo, that girl does not have a healthy, loving home life. No. And her becoming this, like, ice queen top A student makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense that someone like Luz would be the one to help her bring down her walls naturally. You know, Luz doesn't make her. It's just Luz is so warm and vibrant and constantly trying to reach out to people that it is a natural catalyst for Amity. Mm-hmm. You know, Luce is a human from another world. There was like, she has no connection to anyone else in a sense. And that almost makes it safe for Amity to develop feelings for this person because they are so disconnected from society. Because society and like class factor a lot into Amity's parents and how they view things, which is something we get a glimpse of and I think we'll see more of. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in um, my second Owl House piece, there is a level of class to Amity that makes her really into the princess trope. I mean, her family lives in a house that's literally called Blight Manor. Yeah, what's fair is, like, I see the princess trope, but what I love about Owl House is I also see the tomboy in her, too. She can be the princess, and she can be the tomboy. Like, because, like, her, when she plays rugby... She's just, like, a total badass, like, go for it, I'm going to hurt people type of thing. And she's, none of the characters are one-dimensional. Well, one of the, like, side school bullies is, but... But but for the main characters. Yeah. Like, there's so much to them, and it's fascinating. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why the ship Lumity is so fun to watch because they're already rich, fulfilling characters who already have such a great, like, platonic connection Mm -hmm. that it's not lesser if you don't get any romantic moments. But it's just more fulfilling. Yeah, it's... The way Luz makes Amity blush so, so much. It's just adorable. Like Like you said, she's the definition of gay panic like and that's something else it's like so in one of the later episodes when amity is just crushing so hard and unable to contain herself um loose is like hey you want to play on this sports team with me and she's just like on a team with you running around in cute uniforms sweating and then runs off panicking i just immediately thought of Corey because Corey's. Um, told me twice I need to help her set up a, les- a lesbian softball team on the East Coast. <laughs> and just, yeah, I was like, oh, that that panic about the team and the running around in uniforms, that takes me back to school. I don't know about you, but I felt called out. Um, I think I was too much of a tomboy to realize what the hell was going on because I was like, I'm going to kill you on the field. And that's where my mind went. I was a huge soccer player. See, for me, all that stuff was subconscious. So I didn't have a particular memory to connect that line to. But it just, it like, hit me on a subconscious way. And I was like, it described something I didn't even know was happening. Yeah. Uh, Mine was repressed. (laughs) So much repression for both of us in different ways. Religion! It's fine. And, and not to knock religion if you have it. And it is yes, uh, this mind. is yes, um, this is just that was a personal moment. So yeah. listeners, be clear: we support religion and belief system and spirituality and all that jazz. And this now has me thinking about the religion on the Boiling Isles and how it's all connected to the Titan. And I hope we see more of that. I think we will. There's there's no way they're hitting that that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, Dana Terrace even talked about how she went to Catholic school for years and used, like, medieval religious manuscripts as inspiration for some of the art design. Yeah, I can see that. And so, even though Christianity isn't, like, present on the show, you can definitely feel like it's influence and so in aesthetics and themes. Mm-hmm. As someone who went to a Christian school, uh-huh. 
Anyway, let's get back to Lumity and all that yeah. goodness. Okay. So I think we've been teasing our listeners enough. Do you want to talk about Grom night now? Yeah. So it's basically their version of prom. They really just like to throw basic things from our world and add grr in front of it. So Grom is prom and Grugby is a weird version of rugby slash Quidditch, whatever. But so what it is, is that they have a dance and basically most of Mostly your typical prom stuff, promposals, stuff like that. Except at the end, the Grom Queen has to fight a vicious, vicious monster. You know, normal stuff. Yep, it is Grabethius, the Fearbringer, and it is a monster that lives under the school. And once a year, a student is chosen to fight it and has to defeat it, otherwise it will invade the town. And the reason why this monster is significant is because it can turn into whatever you fear, and it's usually your deepest fear, so you know, mortal devastating public humiliation on top of, you know, fighting an actual monster. And Amity is chosen as Grom Queen for various reasons as being such a talented, high-ranking witch in her school. And... She's not happy. Yeah, she doesn't... She's like, I have a very embarrassing fear. I can't do this. So Lou steps up. Because Lou's likes helping people and jumps into things without thinking, usually, which is one of the reasons why we love her. And And also wants to prove herself. Yes, she very much loses becoming a witch and learning about magic and utilizing that magic is very much a huge motivation for her. Yeah. And so Grom, like the Enchanting Grom fight, the episode kind of follows them on these parallel paths related to fear. Amity has this deeply personal fear she can't talk about, won't talk about, while loose thinks she knows what what she's afraid of, which is ultimately inadequacy, would know her fears ultimately go more deeper, deeper and are more personal, and are about facing her mother and being like, hey, mom, I'm actually studying to be a witch. And so you have these two characters who are hanging out and talking and just bonding throughout this episode while not really addressing their fears. And... When it gets, I feel like Amity is more self-aware and at least willing to acknowledge them to herself. Oh, absolutely. That's, I think, one of the main differences in their, like, emotional attunements as characters, to put it one way. Yeah. I think the interesting dynamic with Luce and uh, Amity is Luce is more aware of others around her and how to make others feel comfortable where Amity is more aware of herself. That's a perfect way to put it. It's very much like people intelligence versus personal intelligence because I don't Mm -hmm. remember the technical terms. And yeah. And so basically Luce can't defeat Prometheus on her own. So Amity steps up and we learned that Amity's greatest fear is being rejected by a figure who she wanted to invite to prom, and, like, the figure tears up this little pink note that you find out is a prom note. And Luz is like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, you know, being rejected sucks, but, you know, you can go to prom with me, you know, that's what friends do. And Amity's like, sure, that's great. And then they have a magical dance and use it to defeat the monster. And it's very cute and well animated. Yeah, it's so, God, it's so adorable. There are very few, like, dance scenes that make me giddy. It's just not my thing. There are dance scenes that make me go, oh, that's impressive. But that one Mm -hmm. makes me feel giddy. And it's so, it's so well done. It's just, it's very fulfilling because it's two girls who are dancing. It's not, like, made a big deal, like, they're Mm -hmm. dancing. It's more like they're dancing, and it's cool because the characters are, but not because, like, of their gender. Yeah. Like, it's not addressed, really, at all, that the fact that it's two girls. Like, it's not brought up. There's no evidence that queerphobia of any kind exists on the Boiling Isles, and that's very refreshing. Yeah. um, It kind of reminds me, for the most part, Shit's Creek doesn't deal with... I was just thinking of that because I was reading about Schitt's Creek last night because I was thinking about Dan Levy, you know, as a gay man and 
the representation he gave through his character who is pansexual and, you know, how mm-hmm. cool that was. And, you know, the Yellow House with Enchanting Bromfight, you know, I was on, I was watching it when it aired and I went on Twitter and it's so cool to see all like the show people and how they were gushing about it and how much it was yeah. a labor of love. You know, Dana Terrace. Can imagine the fandom like freaking out night. Oh, it was a total meltdown even leading up to it because Dana Terrace was like teasing it on social media by liking certain things. And there, someone posted a screenshot from the trailer of Amity talking to Luz in the hallway. And she's like, has her hands on Luz's shoulders. And someone's like, there's no heterosexual explanation for this. Dana Terrace replied, there really isn't. Because Dana Terrace is the best kind of troll. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, and that's so it phenomenal. was like, queer people making a love letter for, like, their young queer audience was very beautiful. They even, like, some of them were even dressing up for the event. Like, um, Molly Ostertag, who wrote the teleplay for the episode, is married to Noelle Stevenson. Um and they were just like, we got up dressed, and I think they even made cookies, and it was very adorable. God, I love that type of stuff with fandom. Like, it, and the fact that, like, the great thing is when you have writers and creators doing stuff like that with the fandom, and you can tell that it's such a, like, flavor of love, and that they oh, yeah. enjoy it. Like, it's so fantastic. Yeah, like, love is just, so much love has been put into this series already, and... You can feel it. You can literally feel it through the screen. And that's not hyperbole, in my honest It's opinion. not. Like, it has the confidence and the wit of a, like, a long-time show when it just got started because, you know, Dana Terrace got this idea a few years ago and basically got the idea running out of spite because a guy told her that no one would like the idea. And she's like, fuck you, I'm doing what I want, you know? I love that. God bless Dana Terrace. I basically just sing Dana Terrace's praises all the time when I talk about the Owl House because, you know, creators don't get enough respect for what they do. They, they really don't. And I feel like, um, especially, like, TV creators. Absolutely. I don't, I don't feel like TV, like, directors and writers get enough credit because they're not as well-known. Yes. There are a lot of women involved in, like, the writing and the directing of the show as well, to throw yeah. that out there. And, like, so we've been chanting Gromfight, and that is just, it's not only queer because of Lumity, it's, like, if you look at, like, the dance scenes, you know, you have Ida in a suit that's cut masculine, you have two guys dancing together, and they're blushing, it's tender, you have um, a male-female couple, and they're both in suits. Um, it's just... You know, Willow, we find out, has two dads, and those yeah. are, it's, it's nothing to mention of it in the show, because it's just her parents. Yeah. It's, it does, oh, we need to do a part two, there's so much to talk about, and we're running out of time. <laughs> well, also, I just wanted to say, when you brought up, like, the thing of, like, the fear of telling, Luce telling her mom, hey, I'm studying to be a witch, there is, in a very queer episode, you cannot ignore the context of that and think, okay, the subtext could be, I'm scared to tell my mom I'm gay. Which I don't think is the case with Luce at all. I think it's the witch thing. But it's something that a young audience member could process. Connect to. Yes. yes. And I mean, like a girl growing off and being around a lot of queer people and queer culture while being like, hey, I'm actually here. I mean, you could definitely draw parallels like going off to a gay bar or like to summer camp and hanging out with your friends. And it's, yeah, there's, the metaphors in the show are very fluid. They are very applicable to a lot of different things summer camp like where loose is actually supposed to be <laughs> exactly oh. oh god we barely touched this outline we have so much to talk about we need to do a part two uh, i just thought of something in my head and i want to know who's okay. writing the letters oh <laughs> uh, we okay so there's so many fan theories and oh, no. I want to throw 
one more thing out there before we start to wrap up because I know it'll blow your mind. So I was on Reddit the other day and someone mentioned that in Winged Like Witches, um, Ida has her box of like sports tools and that there was a Buy Pride rainbow on it. And I went back and looked and there was like a sticker that is literally like a rainbow in the Buy Pride colors. I think it's safe to say that Ida Clawthorn is canonically bi. That does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Like, she just would not accept, like, falling into, like, a category. Like, not that that's said wrong. Just, she radiates what is the, what is some people call the magical bisexual trope. I think also cha- chaotic bi energy is, like, what yes. I was trying to go for. Like, she yes. is the definition of it. Like, yes, so, but, um, confirmed by the creator, Luce's confirmed to be bisexual, by Amity's been confirmed to be bi as well, uh, not bi, but a lesbian, I misspoke, I apologize. So, Luce's bisexual, Amity is a lesbian, Ida's pretty much confirmed to be bisexual at this point, I mean, you have a bi pride rainbow. I would not be surprised if, um, Lilith... Ida's sister is a lesbian or queer of some sort. No, this basically is like, I mean, Dana Terrace is very clear about having queer characters on her show. And they've already given us a lot already, and they're going to just go deeper into it, especially with all the acclaim they've received. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they've received acclaim, but they've also seemed received backlash. Of course, with something like this. They just, it's, I've just seen a lot of positive press, not just from, you know, the LGBTQ organizations, and not just from the fandom. Yeah, Uh, I've seen a lot of positive, too. And I mean, I've seen way more positive than I have negative, which is nice and refreshing. And so to wrap this up, I want to, again, our listeners, if you find this intriguing, I really recommend you look up the first episode on YouTube. It's available for free on the Disney Channel's, like, channel on YouTube. And check it out. Um, It's coming out to Disney Plus at the end of October, so it'll be out a few days after this episode airs. And just, if you like the show, give it your love and support. Because even though we have season two confirmed and that they are currently animating season two, with 2020 and COVID, you never know what can happen. And if you're on our Fundamentals Discord, which link you can find on our site, you'll often see our wonderful um, editor, Sahar, and she has talked about, you know, TV shows and how budgets are being slashed and just tanking due to COVID restrictions and everything. And some shows have been unrenewed. I have yet to see a Disney Channel show be unrenewed, but... I don't want to take that chance. And so, like, if you like the show, just support it. Watch it legally when you can. Talk about the merch you you want you might want to see. Hype Being it up on plushy, so- demand it. Hype it up on social media, kids. You can. Okay. Yeah. And so, with that in mind, when you aren't hyping up the Owl House, should you want, we also have several podcasts here at the Fundamentals for all your listening interests. So we have Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. We have Faith Forge Academy, which is a weekly TTRPG that comes out on Fridays. We have The Fundamentalists. You have Ladies First, that's us. You have Sartorial Splendor. You have That's Wrong. And Unabashed Book Snobbery. So just check those out. You can find the links on our website and social medias. And before I sign off, I want to implore Four pillars of 2020. One, vote. This episode comes out towards the end of October, but depending on your state, please just look into voting if you're registered, um, voting restrictions in your state, and whether you can vote early in person. Um, Two, wear a mask. Please, God, wear a mask, and please wear it over your nose. It's not a chin guard. It goes over your mouth and nose. Please do that. Thank you. Three, Black Lives Matter. Don't need to elaborate on that. Y'all should know that. Four, trans rights. Don't listen to J.K. Rowling. Sorry. I just said our human rights. 
Mm. Yeah, J.K. Rowling sucks. But yeah, so vote, wear a mask, Black Lives Matter, and trans rights. Those are the four pillars of 2020. Keep that in mind. And thank you again for listening to Ladies First. I'm Taylor, who just went on. Oh, God, I'm bad. It's okay. So yeah, I'm Taylor, and that was Rebecca. And I hope you all stay safe, stay queer, just keep listening to podcasts, to your favorite shows, and stay sane in these crazy times. And let King become your overlord. Agreed. Goodbye.